This morning, I invite your attention to Daniel chapter 9. Daniel chapter 9, and as we continue on our journey through the book of Daniel, I want us to take kind of a, an interesting little side road because of something that just jumped out at me in this study. I realized and recognized that our study is centered around the idea of prophecy, of things that are still to come. And there are wonderful, rich truths of prophecy in this book of Daniel. More than any other book in all of the Hebrew Scriptures, the writings of the prophet Daniel really sum up for us evidence of the time of the Messiah's coming. I mean, it's there, and many, many people did not want to believe it, and they still today choose not to believe it. However, it is real. It's there. It cannot be ignored. And as we move into Daniel chapter 9, I want you to see that, just that, that one of the most powerful texts of prophecy happens here in this chapter. In fact, it's one of the most famous in Daniel. As we look at it, he's going to reveal a timeline uh, that we know of as the 70 weeks. And it's a, a period of time that lay out the future. But today, we're not going to invest our thought there yet because of the context of where we find Daniel. Now, I know that sounds strange, but let me just simply share this with you by way of background. We come to Daniel 9, and we find Daniel now in his 80s. He was kidnapped from his home in Jerusalem in his teen years. He was taken to Babylon, and he was gone, uh, put through a process of brainwashing. They, they wanted to force him to think like a Chaldean, to be Babylonian in his thinking. Much like we see today, there's a, a secular kind of environment that's really trying to grab at the heart and the mind of a generation so they may look like Christians on the outside but they think like the world on the inside and it's interesting to me that we see here in his 80s we find him doing two things Daniel is reading the word of God and he's praying and I think that's pretty cool because this happened uh, many many decades ago no many many centuries ago in fact we're still in the area of 500 BC and so as we think about this happening over 2500 years ago he was committed to reading God's word and to praying and talking to God and we're going to see in the midst of that some uniqueness um, it was interesting when Daniel finished his praying the answer to his prayers came to him in a very dramatic fashion. Gabriel, the angel, came as a special messenger and he gave to Daniel this prophetic word. And these 70 weeks are the key to understanding all other prophecy in the Bible and how grateful I am that God preserved this part of the text because it just intrigued me sometimes I feel like I'm far away from God and I feel like I'm stumbling along in my faith and maybe you feel that way too maybe you're more spiritual than I and you're soaring in your faith but there are days that I find myself sinking but whether you're soaring or sinking the answer is found in the example of Daniel he's reading the word of God and he's praying and as I think about God delivering this answer to him through Gabriel, and we can understand literally the, the crucial period of time in our planet's existence, both now and what is yet to come, I couldn't help but notice that context. Daniel's praying. Have you ever given much thought to why prayer is important? Have you ever asked yourself questions like these? If God knows everything already and what's going to happen, why should I pray? Does it really matter? Are there benefits to daily praying? Or is it just a, a, an obligation that I fulfill, a ritual, if you will, that's on my faith to-do list? I'll check it off and say, I prayed today. And for most people, prayer is relegated to Sundays in church or perhaps to a bedtime prayer or maybe an occasional prayer before a meal. And if you're honest with yourself, there are oftentimes span of our day, hours throughout the week, that we do not spend time consciously thinking about praying. Would you agree with that statement, yes or no? Some of you just kind of grunted, so well, I think we're on good ground. I feel it too. We can become very prayerless. I know so many people who literally feel like they're doing enough if they check off the box and they do the list of things that good Christians do. I know I'm supposed to pray, and I, I'll find this not to be an essential priority in my day, 
but we understand the importance of prayer when we find ourselves in trouble because we don't just relegate it to Sundays and meal times. We also, when we find ourselves in a fix, when we find ourselves in a, a mess where we can't get out of it, it may be financial, it may be physical, and that those moments of our lives, we cry out to the Lord. It may be relational. You might find yourself in a place where you're struggling with your kids or your grandkids or your spouse, and in the middle of those problems of life, you say, oh God, help. And at that point, prayer becomes a priority. Well, I want us to see some things from Daniel's life that will give to us an understanding of life-changing prayer. As we grow in our prayer life, you see, we become more alive and more engaged with what God is doing. And none of us are perfect at prayer. We're not going to arrive, arrive there. But I believe that as we take steps to grow in our spiritual life, especially in our prayer life, the impact is incredible. It will make a phenomenal difference in your family. It'll make a difference in your marriage. It will make a difference at work and in our world if we would become people of prayer. So for the next few moments, I just want to talk to you about some characteristics of life-changing prayer. Now, I also want you to see this, that yes, Daniel 9 is a, a chapter about prophecy. That's what it's known for. But this is not instruction in prayer. This is not saying this is how you pray. This is what to pray. It's not instruction in prayer. It's an illustration of prayer. We just get the privilege of seeing Daniel pray. And so I, you, you can write that down if you want to, but I want you to have that context. We're not given in Daniel 9, this is how to improve your prayer life. We just simply are looking over the shoulder of Daniel's life and under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit of God, we have his prayers recorded. And as we see those, then we can learn from them. I would say it this way. It's not an exhortation to pray. It's an example of prayer. And so as we look at this together, you'll begin to see the importance of prayer. Why? Because the 70 weeks are only given a, a few short verses. In fact, verses 1 through 19 are about prayer. Verses 20 to 27 are about prophecy. And those last verses, what, so, so two to one, we have a, an illustration of prayer and yet the prophecy seems to rise to the level of our um, interest well right off the bat in verse 1 we're given the time frame so look with me at Daniel chapter 9 and I think we would do well to pray this morning before we read can we pray father I pray that you would give us ears to hear and that you would give us minds to comprehend God I pray that you would speak to us a word from this word for your glory Hide me behind the cross. Speak to the hearts and lives of the people that are here. In Jesus' name, amen. Daniel chapter 9, beginning in verse 1. It was the first year of the reign of Darius the Mede, the son of Ahasuerus, who became king of the Babylonians. So we're in the Medo-Persian Empire. If you remember, the, Babylons, uh, the Babylonians were the ones that took Daniel captive. But we've studied this. In history, the Medes and the Persians took over the Babylonians. And so now we're in the Medo-Persian Empire. And I want you to see that this doesn't flow chronologically. We've said that several times. This doesn't just follow directly after chapter 8. It's actually tied to chapter 6. If we went back to chapter 6, don't turn there. But you might remember that Darius takes over. Darius sets 120 men to be satraps over all of the provinces. He picks three presidents to be over all of those princes and Daniel was one of the three in fact Daniel rose and he became the head one of those three and the others hated his guts for it they were jealous of him and they set out to trap him and so they made a plan that no one could pray to any other god except for Darius they pumped up his ego so I just wanted you to see that when we come to chapter 9 and he says in the very first year of Darius's reign he's taking us back to a time God was speaking to him if you'll remember one through six chapters one through six was history and seven and following is prophecy and if you study this you'll take seven eight nine ten all the way through and lay it on top of the first six chapters you see these things were going on during the time of the history very simple so here we see in uh, the Medo-Persian empire Daniel praying and probably during the midst of him being challenged not to pray to any other God but Darius and let's keep going in the text 
In the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, understood by books the number of years whereof the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah the prophet, that he would accomplish 70 years in the desolations of Jerusalem. And I set my face unto the Lord to seek by prayer and supplications with fasting, sackcloth, and ashes. What in the world is going on here? I want to give you, here's what I want you to write down as a heading, four characteristics of life-changing prayer. Four characteristics of life-changing prayer. If Hardy Street Baptist Church is going to be a church that advances the kingdom, it will advance on its knees in prayer. If you are going to have spiritual power and joy and produce fruit in your life, it will happen because you experience life-changing prayer. And life-changing prayer happens with these four characteristics in mind. Number one, life-changing prayer is motivated by the Word of God. It's motivated by the Word of God. Daniel is reading. I'll give you a second to write that down. And once you get it down, I want you to go back and think with me what's happening. He's reading from the book of Jeremiah. And as he reads, he said, I understand. You see, Jeremiah had told the people, God is going to allow Babylon to take you captive, and you'll be there for how long? Anybody know? 70 years there were lying preachers that said oh don't get comfortable don't unpack your bags God's going to deliver us at any minute because God doesn't want us to go through anything bad he's going to let us loose and Jeremiah said those men are lying to you you need to take up residence you need to build houses and plant vineyards and take wives because you're going to be here for a while you'll be here for 70 years and Daniel had lived through that experience he was kidnapped as a teenager and now he's almost 80 here he's right around his 80s we can't make an exact formulation and he didn't know exactly when the clock started ticking if it was the first deportation when the teenagers were kidnapped or if it was the second raid 10 years later or if it was the final time when Nebuchadnezzar came in and wiped out the city of Jerusalem he just knew we're getting close we're getting close to that 70 years being up and all that we've lived through God is going to deliver us God is going to make good on his promise and so the word of God was what pushed into his heart this hunger and a desire to pray and for you and for me we need to take a cue from that he's reading from the bible of his day he didn't have the new testament he didn't have all of the book put together he didn't have a bound leather copy of the king james bible no he was reading from the books of jeremiah and as he read he said i understand God had said this is going to happen and God's going to make it happen now the beauty of this is that he was reading from scripture in Jeremiah so let's look at Jeremiah and see what he might have been reading I'll put it on the screen for you you may want to jot down Jeremiah 25 Jeremiah 25 if you'd like to turn there you can but let me just read this starting in verse 8 and now the Lord of heaven's armies says, because you have not listened to me, I will gather together all the armies of the north under King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon, whom I have appointed as my deputy. Isn't that interesting? This foreign pagan king, and God said, I've appointed him and he belongs to me. I will bring them all against this land and against its people and against the surrounding nations. I will completely destroy you and make you an object of horror and contempt and ruin forever. I will take away your happy singing and your laughter. The joyful voices of bridegrooms and brides will no longer be heard. Your millstones will fall silent and the lights in your homes will go out. The entire land will become a desolate wasteland. And again, Daniel had lived through that. He'd watched friends be killed and captured. He, he had lived in such a, a day that he saw the very fulfillment of the things that Jeremiah had pointed to. Let's keep on and go a little farther. I mean, imagine this. He's had a front row seat to the cruelty and the brutality of Babylon. Israel and her neighboring lands will serve the king of Babylon for how long? This is audience participation time. Help me out for how long? for 70 years and then after the 70 years of captivity are over I will punish the king of Babylon and his people for their sins 
says the Lord. I will make the country of the Babylonians a wasteland forever. I will bring upon them all the terrors I have promised in this book, all the penalties announced by Jeremiah against the nations. Many nations and many great kings will enslave the Babylonians just as they enslaved my people. And I will punish them in proportion to the suffering that they cause my people. So God is saying exactly what you and I have been studying for the last 10 weeks. If you remember, the Babylonians would be taken over by the Medes and the Persians and right on down the line Greek and then uh, Greece and then Rome and so in the middle of it Daniel is seeing this with his own eyes he's reading the word of God and he's around 80 years old taken as a teenager and he knows aha it's about to happen here's what I would say to you isn't it true that when we learn about prophecy when we discover and read the power of prophecy it ought to move us to a place of dependent worship let me put that on the screen I hope we've got that one on the screen I want to move to a place in my heart and my life do you remember in the very last chapter when Daniel was given a vision of prophecy it said he fell sick he fainted and he literally took to the bed he went to a place where he was overwhelmed but this doesn't lead him to a place of being overwhelmed. It moves him to worship. When he gets this picture, he's reading the Bible, and he, I, I can almost see him just backing up. I mean, he's having his quiet time, right? He's got his mug of coffee. I mean, everybody's got to have coffee to have their quiet time, right? He's got coffee there, and he is reading God's word from Jeremiah, and God tells him this is what is happening. This is what has happened. This is what is going to happen. And all of a sudden, I can see him just throwing his hands up and saying, oh, God. May it be so that you would deliver your people. May it be so that you will do that which you have said would happen. I don't know about you, but I've had moments where I was reading God's word and all of a sudden my, my heart just began to beat fast because God spoke to me. Anybody else? I, I hope that's the case. If it's not, then I need you to go back and repray that prayer that you pray. Oh God, would you speak to me today? Because God's desire is that his word would move us to worship. His desire is that his word would develop in us a hunger. It should drive us to our knees. And here is a man who is so intensely involved in God's truth, he could never, ever remain the same. The word of God moved him to prayer. We read it from our text, and we'll come back there. But if you really want to see power in your prayer life, then I would say this, link it to the word of God. If you really want to see a moving forward, I have people that come to me often and they say, Pastor, I feel like I'm going through the motion spiritually. Pastor, I feel disconnected and powerless. You know what I tell them? Open your Bible. I have people that say, Pastor, I want to grow in my spiritual life. I want to be more like Jesus Christ and I want my life to count. I want there to be meaning and purpose. I hear people talk about those kind of lofty ideas, but I don't have meaning and purpose. I'm just kind of drowning in, in monotony. You know what I tell them? Open your Bible. You know what I would tell you this morning? open your Bible get into God's word there is nothing that I as a pastor could tell you that would do more good for your spiritual life than a daily consumption of the word of God taking it into your heart taking it into your mind taking it into your life teaching it to your children talking about it with your neighbors and with your family take the word of God seriously because Daniel here is moved to a place where life changing prayer was motivated by the word he read the word and and immediately he said and I set my heart to pray very significant for us to see you know it's interesting to me if we look back at the book of Ezra and other places throughout scripture when the people encountered the word of God they had been captive for 70 years and they were allowed to go back and in going back they discovered the book of the law and the people read it Ezra read it for the people and they stood to their feet listen to this this is Ezra 9 4 and 5 those who trembled at the words of God of the God of Israel came and sat with me because of the outrage committed by the returned exiles and I sat there utterly appalled until the time of the evening sacrifice. And at the time of the evening sacrifice, I stood up where I'd sat in the morning with my clothes torn. And I fell to my knees and I lifted my hands to the Lord my God. That's life-changing prayer that has been motivated 
by the word. So pastor, let me ask you a question. I'm gonna do my quiet time tomorrow morning. Do I pray first or do I read the Bible first? Let me give you a little direction here. I would sit in silence for a moment with a closed Bible and I would pray this prayer. Lord, would you speak to me? And then open up the Bible. And what will happen is his word will become rich for you. It'll be illumined by his Holy Spirit. And as he touches your heart and your mind with his word, you'll begin to pray. You'll begin to, you need to see it this way. Genuine life-changing prayer flows out of the word of God. I think it's appropriate for you to say, God, here I am. I'm listening. I want to hear, speak to me. And he will speak. And as he speaks, it'll flow into prayer. So it's not one before the other, it's intertwined. Link your prayer life to the word of God and let God begin to motivate life-changing prayer for you. Daniel teaches us the true prayers motivated by the word of God. We see the same pattern in so many other places in scripture like Nehemiah 8 and 9 when they stood up and just listened to the word. Number two, I want you to see this life-changing prayer is measured by the will of God. It's measured by the will of God. And we're going to spend a little time here this morning, so I really want you to dial in with me. Look at verse 3. I'll give you a second to write that down. So he said life-changing prayer is motivated by the word of God, and here it's measured by his will. Verse 3. So I turned to the Lord and pleaded with him in prayer and fasting, and I wore a rough burlap, that's sackcloth, and I sprinkled myself with ashes. These were signs of mourning. Skip down with me, if you will, to verse 19, because we're going to fill in the blank of his prayer, but I want you to see where this ultimately is leading. In verse 19, he says, Oh, Lord, hear. Oh, Lord, forgive. Listen and act. For your own sake, do not delay. Oh, my God, for your people and for your city, bear your name. What he was saying was, I know what Jeremiah has said. Lord, do it. Lord, you are right to take us into captivity. Lord, you are right to keep us there for 70 years. Lord, you had every reason to do what you did, and I say, do it. He is praying the will of God. Now, so many people today are not praying the will of God. They're praying just the opposite of what Jesus prayed in the garden. What did Jesus say? Not my will, but thy will. And what do we pray? God, I don't want your will. I want my way. Let me ask you this. Lean in close. What are you praying for Tuesday? Are you praying for God's will or are you praying for your candidate? Or have you convinced yourself that those two things are synonymous? What if it's God's will for the candidate that you're not, whichever side you're on, the candidate you're not voting for, you're not supporting, what if it's God's will to use that person as judgment? Did I not just read that God said, Nebuchadnezzar is my appointed agent to punish my people? That ought to lead us to a place of our ears perking up and saying, oh God, please have mercy. I don't want the judgment of God. But, but I'm telling you, if you recognize that true life-changing prayer is marked by the will of God, hear me. Prayer is not a mechanism by which we change God. Prayer is a mechanism by which God changes us. Prayer is not a place where I pray that my will be done in heaven. But prayer is a mechanism and a device by which I say, Lord, let your will be done on earth just as it is in heaven. Does that make sense, yes or no? It better. And if we get to the place where we think somehow that we want what we want and we know better than God, then we are in trouble. And life-changing, life-altering prayer comes at a place where we say, God, your word gives me direction and I'm going to lead it. I'm going to follow its lead. And then it's going to be confirmed because I'm going to pray that back to you. That's what he does. God, let it be so. Let me ask you a question. This will be a little pop quiz. Let's just see. How many of you say, I believe God's will is best? How many of you say, no, there's better ways? Anybody? I just check in because not everybody voted. Some of you are scared to vote. I I think you think I'm going to call on you if you vote in a contrary way. If you believe God's will is best, why would you want to change it? Have you ever thought about that? God, you are good. God, you are great. 
God, you are for me. But I don't want what you want. I want what I want. How foolish is that? And we waste time praying about things that have nothing to do with the will of God. If God's word has said it and God's will has confirmed it, you better just stop praying about it and pray in his will. That's what Daniel did. Prayer is not to change God, but to change us. Years ago, Josh McDowell preached a powerful message entitled, Into the Light. And he talked about dragging things into the light. And here's what he said. He said, when we pray for what we want, I think we've got this one. When we pray for what we want, it is always good to get it out into the light. Because sometimes when we do, we learn that what the will of God is, is different than what we want. I've kind of butchered the quote and just paraphrased, but he goes on to say that we're praying outside of his will. We come to a place where we say we're praying outside of his will. A lot of folks don't go to prayer with the agenda of God's will. They go with their own agenda. And they desire somehow to pray into a conformity of what they want. I can just tell you this, that what God has determined ultimately to do, he will do. True prayer is motivated by the word of God and then marked by the will of God. And if you read in the Bible that something is outside the will of God, should you pray about it? Move on. Pastor, here's a young lady. I love this young guy. And God wants us to be married. I know he wants us to spend the rest of our lives together. Pastor, I want you to marry us. And we begin to talk, and I discover he's not a Christian. He doesn't know the Lord, doesn't care about the things of the Lord. Well, what does the Bible say about that to this young lady? Well, the Bible says not to be unequally yoked. Yeah, Pastor, but I prayed about it, and I have peace in my heart. I can't tell you how many times Scott Alexander and I sitting in the office have had people tell us that God has confirmed something in my heart and in my life and I've just got peace about it. And it's contrary to the word of God? Hmm. God's will will never lead you outside of God's word. That's a good place for an amen. And I hope that you put a stamp on that and say I agree with that. It may be love, it may be infatuation, it may be a dream to get married, it may be a lustful thing, but God hadn't confirmed that you would unite your life, young lady, with this man that's not a believer. It's gonna bring you heartache and headache and it will lead to an ultimate tragedy. It is never right for us to pray about that which God already says is wrong. Now, that ought to inform your voting. There are things that we cannot and will not tolerate or vote for legislatively. And again, it's not my place to tell you how or what to vote for, but we pray for God's will. And if you'll let God's word and God's will be the motivating, marking factor of your prayer, you'll experience life change. As we think about Daniel, he prayed consistently. And he prayed passionately. Those are two words that I really hope you get in your heart. I hope that Hardy Street Baptist Church would be a church filled with people who pray consistently and passionately. If we go back to Daniel 6, when they came up to him and said, Daniel, you can't pray to any other God, he simply went upstairs to his room and he opened the windows of his house toward, toward Jerusalem and he prayed, oh God, oh God. And it said that was his habit three times a day. Every single day, he was consistently praying. Daniel was on his knees. It's not just something we do from time to time. Daniel was on his knees. When we read this, we see Daniel crying out. Let me just read it to you, Daniel 6, 10. But when Daniel learned the law had been signed, he went home, he knelt down as usual, as was his custom in his upstairs room. With the windows open toward Jerusalem, he prayed three times a day just as he had always done. He was consistent in prayer. Now back to Daniel 9, verse 20. I went on praying and confessing my sin and the sin of my people and pleading with the Lord for Jerusalem, his holy mountain. And as I was praying, Gabriel, whom I had seen in the earlier vision, came swiftly to me at the time of the evening sacrifice. 
You see, God's desire is that we would be dedicated to prayer, and God moves when we are. I love this. I, I wish we had time, but over and over again, we see it in Scripture. Luke 18, 1, the persistent widow that just keeps on knocking and keeps on coming toward the judge. Acts 1, 14 and 2, 42, they devoted themselves to prayer. Acts 6, 4, they had an issue, and they prayed. Romans 12, 12, I love this verse. You ought to write that one down. Romans 12, 12, rejoice in our confident hope. Be patient in trouble and keep on praying. That would be a good mantra for this week because I just need to be patient, trust the Lord, and pray to him, cry out to him. In Daniel's walk with God, that's what it looked like. Consistency and fervency. Consistency and passion. He continually prayed, and he prayed with passion. Number three, life-changing prayer is marked by confession of sin. Life-changing prayer is marked by confession of sin. Daniel's praying here with passion, but with brokenness. It said right there in verse 4 that it was with sackcloth and ashes. He didn't see God as a divine bellhop that would bring him what he wanted. He wasn't a concierge. He wasn't a, a slot machine. I'll put in a prayer and get what I want. He was not in any way, shape, form, or fashion a bottle that a genie would emerge from and God would say, your wish is my command. No, he recognized God was the master and he cried out before the Lord. He bowed himself before the Lord. He recognized that some years before any of these events ever happened, Jeremiah said, this is gonna happen. And Jeremiah wasn't speculating. Jeremiah was listening to the Spirit of God. I've said this over and over in this study. Pre-written history ought to be one of the most convincing evidences of the power of God. God knows what will happen on Tuesday, and he knows what will happen 10,000 years from now. Amen? And he is on his throne. Well, as we move forward and think about what happens in his life, we see him in a place of brokenness, sackcloth and ashes. In the Old Testament, often they would shave their heads, and I, I said, well, that's a good posture of repentance, amen? Oh, well, that's one way to be close to God, I guess. But the idea is that they would, with brokenness, just tear their clothes and put on sackcloth and lay in the dust and throw dust in the air and say, oh, God, how miserable my plight." James tells us that the effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man has power with God. It avails much. Daniel's praying with fervency. Let me illustrate it this way. You say, Pastor, what do you mean? When you talk about fervent prayer, does that mean I pray louder? Does it mean I put on this spiritual voice and I just pray to God? No. I can illustrate it this way. What in your life has been the greatest moment of crisis that you've faced. That hit home. It may have been physical or financial. It may have been a diagnosis from a doctor. It may have been relational. You think of the greatest crisis in your life and the moments that followed, I'm talking about after you became a Christian, the moments that followed demonstrate fervent prayer. You didn't mess around with King James flowery language. You said, oh God, I need your help. Oh God, I don't know what to do. That's Daniel. Daniel's reading from the word of God and he falls to the ground and he puts on sackcloth and ashes and he cries out to God and he says, oh God, would you forgive us? Oh God, would you move in our midst? He prays with passion and fervency and fasting was often associated with it. Now, not as an outward expression of piety. It was just the place where I'm so, so consumed with what I'm praying for that I just don't even want to eat. Sometimes we tie fasting to weight loss and other things that are less spiritual in nature, but it's simply this. It's saying no to our physical wants and desires and prioritizing the spiritual life. And there's so many times in Scripture where we see that. Maybe it was a personal issue, a private concern. One of the first places we see it, Hannah couldn't have a child. She was barren, and she begged of God, and she fasted, and she cried out to God. We see fervent prayer. We see when David lost a child in 2 Samuel 12. He cried out, he fasted, and he prayed. 
Now, I'm not telling you these things to say you need to start fasting tomorrow. But what I am telling you is this. Recognize the spiritual world that is beyond the physical world. Recognize that there is a world beyond this world. That there's more to this life than this life. And then maybe you just begin to dial in and tune in. Maybe you've become so comfortable with the surroundings that you have that you've lost sight of the spiritual sensitivity. And you would say with with me, I'm going to pray with fervency. And that means I'm going to just say, I'm going to deny myself the pleasure of even eating. And while I'm facing a hunger pain, I'm going to cry out to God. And so, God, would you move on behalf of our nation? Maybe it would do as well as a church family to say for the next 24 or 48 hours, we're going to fast and say, oh, God, would you have mercy on our nation? God's not enamored by our emotionless reactions to him. And I'm not talking about emotion, Brother West. I'm not talking about just feel good. Oh, the songs were wonderful and I felt better. No, but when we come back to God and we have no real emotion, then I don't think we've experienced life-changing prayer. Because life-changing prayer is motivated by his word. I had somebody not long ago come to me. We've been talking about testimonies. And they said, Pastor, I don't really have a a testimony. I was five when I got saved. I mean, I understood what they were saying. They hadn't knocked over any liquor stores in their first four years of existence. They'd not lived a hardened life of crime as a four-year-old. They weren't just out in the world joining a biker gang. You know, they weren't doing all these terrible things. But I don't have a testimony. I said, were you dead in your trespasses and sins and headed for hell? Yeah. Have you been given life eternal? Yeah. Well, how do I know that? Because I read it in the Word. Ephesians says that we were dead in our trespasses and sins before Christ. But the Bible says that we have been brought out of darkness into his glorious light. And that ought to make us fall on our knees and shout. Anybody here saved this morning? If you've been saved, then you recognize that because of the word of God. Romans 10 says, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Somebody preached to you. Somebody told you the message is that Jesus left heaven, came to earth, lived a perfectly sinless life, died a substitutionary death, rose victoriously on the third day and promised that he's coming again. And if you'll believe that, he'll save you forever. Hallelujah. Amen. Pastor, it's lunchtime. Will you quit? Hello? Some of you have not experienced one iota of life-changing prayer because the Word of God has not gripped your hearts. I, I love you. I'm not trying to backhand you, but I'm begging. Oh, that we would get on our knees. If we're serious about this election, if we're serious about this nation, if we're serious about our lost neighbors, then we'll get on our faces before holy God and cry out. And where did it leave Daniel? Daniel didn't say, oh God, would you strike down the liberals? No, he said, oh God, my heart is full of sin. It led him to a place of conviction in his own heart. Life-changing prayer is marked by confession of sin. That's why the apostle Paul who wrote half the New Testament would call himself the chief of all sinners. Because the closer you get to God, the more you recognize how sinful you are. I don't want to belabor the point. I think you see it. Edgar Mullins tells a story of a, an organ grinder and his monkey got loose. This is a true story. It, it got loose on a cold winter day. And as I was reading it this week, I was fascinated. The poor animal just began to jump from apartment building and house to house trying to find a place to find warmth. And he saw through the window uh, that was, that was uh, a fire, a roaring fire. And he found his way into the house with his little paws. Sorry, Haley. My Haley hates monkeys after an experience or two in Africa and Nepal. But that's another story. Just do this. The monkey saw a roaring fire in this building and he raised the window. And listen to this. It says that he found his way into the house and he froze to death because the fire was painted on the wall illustrating a fireplace screen. 
Mullins went on to say this in his commentary on the book of Daniel. There are churches and Christians like that. Painted fires on painted screens with no emotion, no fervency, no warmth. Why do we wonder that people don't want to be a part of a place like that? Why do we wonder that the world would not want to be here? They would much rather watch the Super Bowl or the World Series because you and I find ourselves much more excited about those matters than the eternal nature of the Word of God. I heard a pastor that was asked about his church. They said, well, is your church unified? And he said, absolutely, we're frozen together. <laughs> Some of you will get that later. I heard another story of a, a, a town, a small town, and the small church in that small town caught fire. And all of the townspeople and all of the villagers came out in the middle of the night, and it was, they were there, and men were trying their best to put out the fire, and, and it was continuing to blaze. And they saw that it was hopeless, so they stood and watched it burn. And, and one of the town drunks was there. He was kind of the, the town reprobate. And the pastor looked at him, and he said, well, I've never seen you rush to church that quickly before. And he said back to the pastor, well, I've never seen this place on fire before. Maybe, just maybe, if there was a little more fire in the pews, there'd be a little more, a little less hell in the, con in the community. Number four, life-changing prayer magnifies the Lord. Life-changing prayer magnifies the Lord. The, the Greek word for magnify has two different scenarios. It simply means to make great. But, but it's not that we have to brag on God to make him bigger. It's almost like a telescope and we help people see. It's not just a magnifying glass. Oh, I need to look down at what God's done and make it big. No, it's I look at the vastness and just try to comprehend a sliver that our great God who created everything, who holds it all in his hand, is far bigger than an election. He's far bigger than one nation. He's far bigger than one planet. And he is able in his sustaining power to move on our behalf. And when you and I come to the place of allowing the word of God to motivate our prayer and move us to a place where we would pray that back to him. You see, I'm getting more and more to the place where I wanna just pray God's word. Take his word and put situations and names in it. Acts 4.12 says there's no other name under heaven whereby men must be saved but the name of Jesus. And so I put lost people's names there. I say, oh God, my friend Nick needs you and I pray that he would find the truth of your word to be real in his life, that no other name but the name of Jesus would be the name he would call upon. Just pray his word and it magnifies him. We come to church on Sunday and we have the idea that we must stay jammed down in our skin like Ezekiel's dry bones. And all the while, the fire of God is burning in his word. Oh, that we would live it. Does God need for us to tell him things? I mean, if you read through the rest of the prayer, it's a beautiful, beautiful thing that Daniel does. Of course not. God doesn't need us to tell him anything, but he desires to hear from us those things so that he knows we know them and we know that he knows that. God is not trying to prove something to himself. He's trying to change you and he wants you to trust him and he wants you to trust him more. I've learned a great deal about revival and spiritual awakening by a man named Leonard Ravenhill. Let me just read a simple quote. He said these words, it messed me up he talked about the prayer meeting he said go to churches today and try to find a prayer meeting we have sermonettes preached by Christianettes who want to go home and say, smoke cigarettes he was the one that said that originally he said that the Cinderella of the church today is the prayer meeting this handmaiden of the Lord is unloved and unwooed because she is not dripping with the pearls of intellectualism not glamorous with the skills of philosophy, neither is she enchanting with the tiara of psychology. She wears the homespuns of sincerity and humility and so is not afraid to kneel. He went on to say, we have many organizers, but few agonizers. We have many players and payers, but few prayers. We have many singers, but few clingers. We have lots of pastors, but few wrestlers. Many fears, but few tears. Much fashion and little passion. Many interferers, but few intercessors. Many writers, but few fighters. And he says, failing here in prayer, we fail everywhere. It can be summed up in one New Testament 
exclamation. You have not because you ask not. Oh, the thought that we'll get to heaven and realize all of the unclaimed blessings that we never ask God to dispatch. What Ravenhill said is hard because it's true. Our church will never accomplish anything of eternal significance apart from life-changing prayer. So I want to challenge you with one assignment this week. You ready? I want you to pray. I want you to pray. Very simple assignment. I want you to read the book and see what God has to say to you. Find out what his revealed will is and then pray that back to him. And then like Daniel, just say, do it, Lord. It it may not be comfortable. It may be difficult, but it's best because it's from you. And you will experience a grand adventure that you would never, ever comprehend otherwise. Get involved frequently with consistency and fervently with passion talking to your God. And church family, listen. You do that and you just wait and see what happens. Because God is waiting to bless. And God is waiting to move. And God is waiting to heal. And God is waiting to strengthen. But he's waiting on us. Will you, this week, make the commitment to be a person of prayer? Prayer that's motivated by his word. Pray that that your prayers would come out of his word and they would be in line with his will. They would lead you to confess and forsake sin and experience him so that you can magnify him to a lost and dying world. Doesn't mean that you're better than somebody else. In fact, it shows just the opposite. It shows you your humility and it shows his greatness. Let's pray. Father, thank you for our time. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for this day. Oh, God, that you would move in our midst. Oh, God, that you would move in our nation. Oh, God, that you would heal. Because your word says, if we confess our sins, forsake them, humble ourselves, turn from wickedness, you'll heal our land. You'll forgive our sin. God, would you speak to every heart today, even in this moment, just in the stillness of their heart. Lord, if there are those who need to be saved, I pray that they would run down the aisle. God, if there are those who need to come to the altar, that they would run down the aisle. They would find themselves broken before a holy God and then rebuilt for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. We're gonna stand together and sing. And as we do, we have prayer partners that are here. They would love to share with you a time of prayer. If you have a prayer need of any sort, you can stand now. And they'll pray with you. If you'd like to unite yourself with this church, they can help you with that. If you need to just pray, come to the altar. Pour your heart out before the Lord. Don't leave this place yawning. Leave this place yearning. Let's sing.